Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you something, people. It's raining in Burbank, and you know what? I love it because it's actually getting chilly, and me and the lovely Joanne plan to get our uh, Christmas tree later this week. And last year we got it. It was like 85 degrees out, and you just you feel like a jerk just driving around with a Christmas tree. It's not You're not in a spirit to get it. And also what's great is I can pull out my sweaters, and I also pulled out my pleather jacket. Now, I have, I have two pleather jackets, and I'm going to tell you something. I'm a huge advocate for the pleather. I got one at Kmart for 25 bucks. I got one at uh, Sears for 30 bucks. And everybody thinks they're like these expensive leather jackets. And the good thing is, like today, I wore it out in the rain. I don't have to worry. And the other thing is, let's say I spilled some food on it. If you spill food in the leather jacket, you have to take it to a dry cleaner. And dry cleaners charge you like a ton of money. This way, I do it. Put a little Windex and the mustard's gone. <laughs> anyway, we have a great show. I'm very happy to have my guest here. And uh, he was just in New York, so he and he, you're from the Midwest. So this weather, what, what do you think of this weather today? It's well, Alan I, Ruck. I, 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 I never pronounce the name. Alan Ruck. That's hi, me. hi, Steve. Um, I'm I'm very grateful for this weather because we are uh, we are dry out here. We're we're in a big drought, so any any bit of rain is surely welcome here it's funny because you don't you don't think about it because everyone sits there especially on facebook all my friends back east and yeah. i'm sure you have friends because you're oh yeah by coast so you have people all over all over and it's so funny people always sit there and they say oh yeah don't you know you're bitching that it's 80 85 but they forget that it gets very dry and they don't understand everyone thinks california is earthquakes but it's much more it's is desert for, we live forest, in a desert and it's forest <laughs> fires i mean you yeah. have to worry about that yeah um, uh, what was it about six weeks this past summer? Every day was at least over ninety, and there were many hundred degree days. I mean, it, it was hot, and it's still hot. Yeah. So I got to talk about your career. Now you're you're from the Midwest. Yeah. And Born and raised Cleveland, Ohio. And your mother was a school teacher. Yeah. Look at you. I do my research. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, now, as a kid, did you always want to act? I mean, because uh, did you see something to change your life that said I want to follow this path, or were you just a kid goofing around and you fell into it? I think. Uh, my older sister uh, got involved in the uh, dramatics program at high school. She was four years older than me, and I saw her do that stuff. And I just in the back of my mind, I just thought that I could do it, you know. So I was in the, the, the sixth grade, something like that, fifth or sixth grade. And I just tucked it in my back pocket and kind of hung on to it and then a junior high school was a disaster and I was an A student until I hit puberty and then I couldn't concentrate on anything and then I you know uh, not e I wasn't even a bad athlete I was sort of um, a non-athlete okay. I was sort of you know uh, a, an inverse athlete and um, not one of the cool kids obviously and uh, didn't really play an instrument and I didn't have anything that defined me so when I got to high school I took a you could take a an acting class as a, an elective through the English department. So I took that just because, you know, I thought it would be an easy A. And uh, then I found out that I could do it. And um, then I had an identity. And so I just grabbed a hold of it. And so you were like the, act, you were the actor guy. Was that like your identity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was in every play in high school and I took all the courses that I could possibly take and so that was my new. I had a focus in my life. So, so when you went, saved me. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's yeah. it's just weird because you know it's some. There's all those people like I was like a middle of the road athlete. I'm like you know, I was all conference being like backup. You know oh okay, I mean? it's like that's I, great. I didn't play. You know, <laughs> I well, made a team. But you were there. Yeah, for some of them. That's <laughs> when you get cut, and then you always say, "Oh, intramurals. We played intramurals, <laughs> and then we couldn't make sports." So now, when you go to college, do you plan to say this is going to be my uh, life passion? Am I going to major in acting? And how do you break that to your parents? Well, actually, they were. Uh, incredibly supportive. They took us to, we didn't have any money, so in Cleveland, the art museum is free. So we were always going to the art museum because it was something we could do that didn't cost any money, you know. And they were always taking us to high school concerts, high school plays, different things, community theater. And uh, they were always exposing us to that kind of stuff. And um, I just think when I finally found something that I could do, and other people, my instructor said, you know, he's, he's good at this. My parents were so happy that they backed me 100%, and I know most kids don't have that. Uh, their parents say, okay, that's fine, but what's your backup plan? Right. I never 
my parents never put that pressure on me, and uh, consequently, I, I, to this day, I don't have a backup plan, which has been a blessing and a curse. Right. Because in the lean times, it's been like, oh, right, I have no marketable skills. What am I going to do? Well, that's always funny. It's true because you think about it because you've acted your whole life. And, you know, when I, I did, I have a degree in business management, uh-huh. but then I did stand up comedy for yeah. a long time. And then you think there, when you go, when you go to someone and say, hey, uh, my skills are business management, and they go, well, where have you been the last eight years? And you must not be in that good at management if you're trying to Can't do something hired, else. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so you, so they were very behind your, uh, yeah, they were wonderful. Um, uh, and so I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, and uh, it was a wonderful place uh, for me because um, I had looked at Carnegie Mellon, which is a very sort of uh, high-speed school. It's like Yale, you know. It's 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 pretty. It's way up there and uh, very competitive and um, much more difficult than I was prepared for. I didn't get accepted there. Heartbroken. And then uh, I auditioned for the University of Illinois because my high school drama coach got his master's there and said, well, in that instance, he said, you do need a backup plan, okay. you know. And so I wound up going there. It was great. Yesterday, I saw a guy that I've known for 40 years. His name is Bob Falls, and he runs the Goodman Theater in Chicago. And to this day, he's the best director I've ever worked with. And uh, he directed me when I was 19, and he was 21 in college, you know. And um, uh, there were a number of really talented people that that came through that place, which was not a high-profile theater school by any means, but they started to build the program while I was there. And uh, it was a nice place for me to grow because more than anything, I needed to grow up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's anything. When you, you know, go to college, you know, yeah. you're away, and and we're still punks. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you think, you think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a, you know, when you see a freshman in college, you go, oh yeah, I'm a sophomore, I'm a junior. It's, yeah. We're still punks. We're still, we're not even twenty. You're not even twenty two yet. It's it's those age. I mean, you're growing up. You're a lot better than in high school. Yeah. But you really need to grow up and being away. That's how I say for college. I think one of the best things about going me going away to college was I I got my identity. Yeah. But when I got out, I was still a brat. But then you grow up. Well, because you've not had to pay for anything. Right. You know, all the privilege, none the responsibility. <laughs> it's a great time of life. It really is wonderful. So you get out of college. Now, Now I heard you went to Chicago because yeah. you knew people up there. Yeah. I, uh, a lot of people from the U of I were going right up to Chicago. And um, there were dozens and dozens of little mom-and-pop style theaters. I mean, old storefronts that, you know, people were paying uh really cheap rent and they they uh, formed a uh, non-for-profit theater company and there were there was just a ton of this stuff and everybody was doing work everybody was active nobody was getting paid right. nobody cared because we were 22 years old you know it didn't really matter and the great thing about chicago at that time is was it was a hot locations town for movies because of the blues brothers because uh, belushi and dan Aykroyd had brought um the Blues Brothers to town, Hollywood all of a sudden said, wow, this is terrific. They shoot all these commercials here, so we have everything we need, all the equipment, all the crew people we could want. Uh, at that time, you had to you know, develop the, how, the, the film and development house. Right. I mean, that's not an issue today. Yeah, it's not. But, it's not, hey, look, here's a digital here's camera. A digital, right. um, so they had the, uh, uh, you know, the labs where they could develop the film. They had everything they needed, and Chicago became this little hot spot for film and TV for about a decade, you know? So you got your start there. Yeah, I, so I was doing plays and I was picking up little pieces in the movies and some uh, TV shows that came through town and um, it was a wonderful way to get started. Well, I know you were on Bad Boys. Yeah. I love that, it's so funny. I remember having, uh, we had a local network, now it's Comcast, but in yeah. Philadelphia it was called Prism. It was a paid, it was a, it was a network that was like HBO, but they had home sports and uh-huh. basically became Comcast. And that movie was always on there. And we, we love that movie. And that's one of those movies when people always go, bad boys, yeah, Will Smith. I'm like, no, 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 Sean yeah. Penn, S.A. Morales. Yeah, you can't, can't <laughs> copyright a title, so. What was uh, that like, that being your first, I mean, that was your first bigger role in a movie? That was my first uh, um, professional film job. Now, were you, were you scared? I oh, mean, sure. I was, I was scared to death. I, uh, um, Sean Penn, who was the lead, and I played his really stupid friend who got killed early in the movie, uh, he was only about 21 years old and i was i think i was 26 25 26 and he uh he'd come from a show business family and he was very focused very savvy he knew he'd already been in two or three films he knew a lot about the business already 
So um, I tried to key off him, but he knew what he was doing, and I had no idea, you know. People coming up to my nose with tape measures and, you know, saying, could you sit a little forward in your seat so the light is better? And I'm, I'm worried about my performance, and there's all this technical stuff to be concerned about, and I was, I was very intimidated. Uh, a funny thing happened on that movie. I mean, funny. Um, uh, I got my eardrum perforated uh, maybe the first or second night of shooting. It was almost all night shoots, and... Um, I get killed. And so we were shooting this stuff out in the street, and I was supposed to come out of the car with a pistol, uh, pop off a couple of shots, and then a kid with a shotgun shoots me once in the belly and then once in the chest, and I fall down, I'm dead. Okay. And so uh, the special effects man literally was uh, this guy from Georgia uh, who uh, he... I don't know that he and the director were really on the same page <laughs> because... Uh, I'm getting wired up, and I'm like, wow, this is exciting, wow. So these wires go to my belly, and these wires go to my uh, uh, shoulder, and these go first, and then the, the shoulder goes second, right? And the guy said, what are you talking about? He said, it all goes at one time. And I said, well, you better talk to the director, because I, I don't want to mess anything up. But I was told that all, it, there's two shots, you know, and two explosions. So the director came in, and he cleared that up. But what he said was, it's a night shoot. He's got on a dark coverall he's got on a, a, a watch cap he's got stuff under his eyes i want to see blood on his face otherwise we're not going to know he's hit so the guy put an extra large squib explosive on right. my shoulder nobody gave me earplugs <laughs> and i didn't know i'd never been in a movie before so action i come out of the car bang bang i shoot my pistol the kid shoots me once in the belly i go blam against the car you know he shoots me in the shoulder all of a sudden my ear felt it like it was about the size of a steak you know, and it, it it was really shocking. And I had a real pistol in my hand, and my hand was straight up in the air, and I was sliding down the car. Probably looked pretty cool, but I was sliding down the car with the pistol like this, and I, it just my arm was rigid. And the assistant director says, Alan, drop the gun. Drop the gun. Alan, drop the gun. And so I dropped it, and it bounced off my head. And so they said, cut, cut, cut. The actor dropped a gun on his head. And then I said, hey, you guys, my ear really hurts. And then they're like, oh, 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 here, have a chair, Alan. You want something cold to drink? You know. And they took me to a hospital uh, on the south side of Chicago, and I was covered with caro syrup blood, you know, just covered. My, one, one side of my body, my T-shirt was just sodden with uh, fake blood. And I walked into this uh, emergency room, and the nurse looked around the corner, took one look at me. She was on the phone, and she went back to what she was doing. And uh, when she came to attend to me, I said, how did you know it was fake blood? She said, I didn't, but I figured if you could walk in here under your own power, you were going to be okay. You know? So that was my introduction to the show business. That must have been, that's exciting. That's a great story. Well, you know, it, um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, it was uh, an eye-opener. Now, how long did you stay in Chicago? Because I know you ended up going to Broadway. And now, was there, and was, was there a point where you said, because I've had a lot of people from Chicago, a lot of Second City people and yeah. stuff like that, and, yeah. and they say the same thing. Back then, there was so much work. There was commercials. It was like, but then there was some, at one point they said, you know what, we, we got to get out of here just for the fact that, They've gotten not too big for the city, but they don't want to stay there forever because there's bigger pastures. And all the Chicago people I've met are just all very nice, and they all have a great work ethic, and they all do well, even if yeah. they some transfer into writing or this. Yeah. But it's just it's an amazing ground for com for acting well, comedy. Great, great comedy. So, uh, what made you decide to leave? Well, I mean, I guess part of it was ego, just because. I was getting these small parts in these films, and uh, I had an acting teacher that said, you have to go to New York or Los Angeles, you can't stay here. And I think, and he was right, just if I even wanted a crack at better parts, at bigger parts in film or TV, I was going to have to go to New York or L.A., and um, so that was really it for me. I just wanted to do more, you know. And then as it turned out, it was sort of decided for me. I, I got an audition for Biloxi Blues, Neil Simon show. And uh, I auditioned for the casting directors in Chicago, and then they wanted me to come to New York. And um, I almost didn't go because um, I had had a couple of auditions for New York plays where they said, fly yourself into New York, and you have an audition. And so twice before, I flew myself to New York. I auditioned for stuff, and I didn't get it. And I was out the 300 bucks or whatever it was. Right. And so they called up, and they said, we'd love Alan to come audition for Neil Simon and yeah, uh, Manny Eisenberg and Gene Sachs, the, you know, the producer and the director. And I said, I, I don't think I'm going to do it. 
<laughs> and my my agent said, "What are you talking about? This is Neil Simon play." I said, "Look, every time I go to New York, I'm, I I shell out three hundred bucks, you know, to fly myself to New York, and then I don't get it." And uh, Manny Eisenberg, the producer, heard about this, and he said, "I tell you what, if he doesn't get the part, I'll pay for his airfare." There you go. <laughs> so that was the only time that I was actually offered the part on the spot. And to this day, I wonder if it's just that Manny didn't want to spend the three hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, ah, good enough. So that must be great, though. You, you get a. I mean, you're you're still new into the acting. I mean, from the yeah. movies, and this is like like eighty five when you got bro- bully. Uh, uh, let me see, 80, 84. I got I I auditioned in eighty four, and we started rehearsal that fall. Now that was with Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Okay. So now, had you met him before? Or? No. Okay. So now, you've always played younger for being older. Like when you went to that, is. Yeah. Does it, is it sometimes, because I always see it like with athletes. Like, let's say there's a, you know, like a 19 year old or 21 year old rookie and he hangs out with like 30 year old veterans. There's a big difference, as we say. We're growing up. You're getting older. Matthew is probably yeah. tw- at that time. He's, Matthew's five years younger than I you. I think maybe? five years younger than me. So you're playing his buddy. Yeah. So what's that like? I mean, I know you're an actor, but it's like, because you're on stage, but there's got to be a, somewhat of a difference of just your focus and your maturity. Um, I never really had to worry about maturity. That's never been an issue okay. with me. <laughs> so, um, and Matthew is another uh, guy that came from a, a show business family, and you know he started pursuing uh, professional work as soon as he got out of high school. He might he might have even been casting something before he graduated from high school. You know, so he was on a faster track. So in some ways, he was much more mature than I was. You know, uh, and much more sort of. Um, Street smart and world savvy and business savvy, you know. So that's a great leveler. Well, what was it like? I mean, for you when you got that part, just to think that, you know, you haven't, as I say, you haven't been in the business that long. Now yeah. you're not only on Broadway. Yeah, you're with Neil Simon play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it must be, I would say, overwhelming, intimidating, and exciting all at the same time. It was thrilling. It was intimidating. Um, we had a great rehearsal process with this wonderful director named Gene Sachs, still alive. I think he's like 93 years old now. And um, great guy. And, uh, you know, I, ma- I made friends for life on that show. Uh, I'm still buddies with uh, Matt Mulhern and Brian Tarantino and Broderick. And um, so it was very exciting. And then uh, we came out to Los Angeles and did it at the Amundsen for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then we went to San Francisco and we played the Curran for about four or five weeks, and then we went to New York. And then when we opened in New York, all of a sudden I felt like I'm not just in the theater anymore. I'm in show business. Okay. Because the opening night crowd really didn't laugh at all. <laughs> and we'd been killing them. We'd been, you know, knocking them dead in L.A. and San Francisco. We're like, you know, feeling pretty good about ourselves. And opening night... Opening night in New York City, we were scared to death because it was quiet out there. But that's just that crowd, you know. It's a very people go to opening nights for different reasons, you know. And um, and the play was, uh, you know, wildly successful. And uh, Neil won a Tony, and Gene Sachs won a Tony, and another guy in the cast, Barry Miller, won a Tony. It was uh, very well received. Barry know. Miller was he the guy who was in the comedian and fame? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he was—he's a very talented guy. You don't see him around too much anymore, uh, but he—he uh, he had quite a run for a while. He was in Saturday Night Fever. He was in Fame. Right. Yeah. He was yeah. the guy. I'm dancing on the bridge. Yeah. 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 yeah right. <laughs> I love yeah. that movie. Yeah, sure. uh, okay. So after you do the runs for how long? How long are you on the on two years? I I no I left. Um, actually, my mom passed away, which is why I left the show. We were all. We were all a little burnt out, uh, uh, and we were all getting ready to leave. Uh, and there was a little there was a little friction between some actors and management. And uh, but then my mom passed away, and so I just uh, I just said I'm I'm going. So you leave? Yeah. And, and that- I, I had auditioned for uh, uh, Ferris Bueller before that happened. Now, did the audition for Ferris come up? around also once again because you're older yeah and so and you're playing a high school yeah. kid which is so funny when i look back at it because i you look like a high school kid. Well, when i was 18 i looked like a fetus you know yeah, so what, I mean, what was yeah. that i mean that must have been crazy like you trying to get a, a drink somewhere they must have thought you always had well, like a I fake to, id you know university of illinois uh champagne urbana drinking age was 18 you could get a beer when you were 18 and so i was actually hired uh, at a bar, you know, to be like busboy and stuff. And this one night, the guy said, I want you to check IDs at the door, which was really <laughs> ironic because it was me, you know. And uh, he said, check everybody. 
And so there were like 40-year-old women coming up, and I'm checking their IDs. And they were, you know, some of them thought it was really cute. Some were outraged. And one woman thought she was like, she tried to get her husband to call the cops because I, she thought I was an underage kid that was out in front of this bar. And she's like, Frank, you got to do something. And he's like, ah, oh, he's fine. Yeah, ha, ha. You know. So, so now, did what, did the audition come about because Matthew was already cast, or how did that whole audition come up for a Ferris Bueller? Well, I uh, I moved to New York, you know, with the play, and I immediately got a a, a New York agent. I, I uh, met some people from William Morris, and so all of a sudden, I was getting sent out on bigger parts, you know, and uh, which was the whole idea. Um, and uh, they got me this audition, and at first, the casting directors were resistant because they knew exactly how old I was. But then my agent at the time, a wonderful woman named Myrna Jacoby, said, listen, he plays next to Matthew every night on stage, and he looks incredibly young, and you should at least see him. So they're like, all right. So I went in, and I, uh, I met them, and I auditioned for them, and then they gave me a call back with John Hughes reading with Matthew. Well, I had met John in Chicago maybe two years before, three years before. John was the Chicago guy who had, you know, written for National Lampoon and had written those movies. And, but he really wanted to be in Chicago, you know. And he had written this movie, The Breakfast Club, and he was going to make it as an independent movie in Chicago. Okay. So he was meeting young actors in Chicago. I went in, met him, read with him, read with some other kids. During that process, he met Molly Ringwald and was so taken by her that he put the breakfast club on the back burner and the, the legend has it he wrote 16 candles for her over a weekend okay right and so then but i had met john i knew him a little bit and uh so i went in and i was comfortable being around him and i got to read with matthew and we were already friends right you'd, wor you'd work together you spent like nine months together yeah, that trust you had yeah. that uh that mutual trust which has been yeah. great you know uh it and so it just kind of clicked, and they took they took a while to make up their minds. Uh, 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 I think the studio just because I was a nobody, you know, and um, I know the movie was offered to. Um, I think it was. I think my part was offered to Emilio Estevez, and he turned it down for whatever reason. And every time I see him, I pretty much want to kiss him on the top of his right. head because it's like, thanks, <laughs> thanks again, <laughs> you know. Now, when when you got cast, I mean, you think about it, and and you know, it's it's hindsight. But did you ever think that it would be such? And that the role of Cameron's an like, iconic role. I mean, anyone who's you know, I'm 51. Anyone who's four, and now it's changed so much that I was going to say anyone who's 35 and above knows that role. But then, like my girlfriend's niece is at Monmouth College, Monmouth University in New yeah. Jersey, and they actually have a class, the films of John Hughes. Oh, yeah. So everyone knows that role. When you when you got that role, I mean, do you think the movie would be such, it would catapult, I mean, just, it's it's amazing. Everybody knows that role. Yeah, no, I, I didn't think so at all. I mean, w what I knew was that it was a really good part. Uh, I knew that uh, he was the one who had the dramatic problem. If there was a dramatic problem, he was the one who had it. Um, uh, so I just knew it was a really good part and I worked hard on it but um, I tell you Jennifer Gray and Jeffrey Jones and somebody else Mia Sarah and I saw a rough cut of it um, in like oh when was it like uh, spring of 86 before it came out and at the old Gulf and Western building in New York, and we saw this, and we were uh, actually all petrified because it hadn't been sweetened. It was, uh, you know, it didn't have the whole soundtrack and everything, and we were all kind of mortified. We didn't, we didn't kind of get it, you know. But I think we were all too close to it, you know. And then that movie did well that that summer. It uh, it came in about number ten for the year, you know. And this is hysterical. In in 1986, it made 77 million dollars, and it was in the top ten. Right, you know, <laughs> that's, that's that's like half of a weekend. I mean, like what the Hunger Games just made like 120 million in the first week. Yeah, yeah. It is amazing, yeah. and the thing is, well, also, you know, I always sit there, and I'm one of these people that I don't bitch, but I, I bitch about like when people say about the TV shows, like you know, the ratings. But like for movies back then. If you made seventy-seven million, it's also a movie was only five bucks back then. That's what every right. people know. If, if you if they actually when they say like these top-grossing movies, they should yeah. actually scale them. I mean, if they do that in baseball with asterisks for yeah. home runs, if they're going to say, you know, if, if Ferris Bueller made seventy-seven million that year, yeah. if it came out now, it would make at least three times that because oh, yeah. tickets. I mean, I say like so ticket sales. Yeah, matinee in Burbank was like. 
12 bucks. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, wait a second. It's like, I mean, I remember matinees were like two bucks. Yeah, 350. Yes, yeah, so I think that's the one thing that bothers me when they do the top grossing movies. They should really scale them to what. Yeah, and it was $1977. Uh, I mean, 1977. 19. Um, Eighty-six dollars, yeah, so you know. So it was cheap. Yeah. So now, how does your life change after that? I mean, as a young, and the thing is, you're older, so I think it probably may yeah. have been help because you're. I mean, I know you said you've never been mature, but it helps the fact that you know you are more grounded at that age. Well, it was funny because um, that was sort of my last hurrah playing a young person, and uh, then all of a sudden I was thirty years old, and I, I came out to Hollywood, and I had a brand new baby girl. And I thought I wanted to try and get into television so I could, you know, have some kind of life. And um, I was—I had a case of the in-betweens. I could no longer play the real young people, but nobody was buying me as like a 35-year-old lawyer on TV, you know. Do you think that was because you had just come from Ferris Bueller show? People wouldn't sit there and go, oh, wait a second, how can he be a lawyer? Yeah, you know, I, I think part of it, and I, I think it was uh, an age transition thing, and I think I, I'm an odd type because I'm not a leading man. I'm a character actor, but I don't have a lot of character. You know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a guy. And so um, anyway, for whatever reason, I, I had a little trouble getting some work there for a bit, you know. Now, would people recognize you a lot, like, be like, hey, because, like, when you went, if you go somewhere, they'd be like, hey, Cameron, because people can get fanatical. That, that built up over time. That wasn't, um, that wasn't immediate. That, that took a few years to happen because uh, what happened with home video, people would go to the video store, they go to Blockbuster, whatever was around at the time, and what are we going to watch? Hey, let's get that again. That was fun, you know, so people started repeating you know, uh, the comeback uh, to the movie. And uh, so that sort of um, little bit of a cult thing that it has, has has grown over time. It wasn't immediate. But um, when the film was maybe about five years old, it was definitely... Well, at that so, time, because you said when you moved out here, you had a newborn. So and, and it, would, it must have been weird going to like a PTA meeting. Like, because did people ever sit there and be like, hey, that's Cameron. I mean, it's one of those things where... As I said, everyone knows that movie. So, yeah. and that people don't think like I know I've had actors on who have kids who are you know they're on a Disney show and like yeah. when they go to this, their kids' elementary school, they're they it's like it's, yeah it's it's like you know <laughs> if Mick Jagger walked in the kids like who cares? But it's like when you would go, people would sit there like, hey, that's that's. I've been lucky that way. People have you know people have clocked me and people recognize me and so forth. And uh, uh, but I'm uh, I'm very fortunate. I've never had any people be uh, jerky. You know, with it, they've always just been like, I love the movie or, you know, I like your work or whatever. So people have always been really good with me that way. I've been lucky. Now, when you moved out here, you pursued TV yeah. and movies. Did you ever think, were you thinking, I'm going to miss stage because, I mean, he had just had a Broadway run. I mean, it must be something where that must be such a high for an actor. Even if you go into a movie, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, as an actor, like if you talk to, to actors, it's like, yeah. wow. You were on Broadway. I mean, was did you start missing the stage when you're moving out, or did you say, "I have a, I have a baby now. I don't want to be on stage. I, I, this has to be what I have to do." Um, I, uh, when I was in New York, I mean, I did a lot of plays in Chicago, and then when I was in New York for about four years, I did sort of one film thing and one stage thing every year, and um, but I did a lot of plays in high school, college, and then in Chicago when I was there for. About five years. So um, now, what I feel is that stage acting is for the very young and for masochists. Okay. Because they make you do eight shows a week, which is who came up with that idea? Hi, no, let's do more shows than there are days in the week. Right. And you, don't you, have, you have one day off, I think. So isn't yeah. it like. And then your, your whole energy. Uh, your whole life is really sort of focused toward that performance at night. And people say, oh, you have your da days off. You can do whatever you want. Not really, because you have to conserve your energy, because stage acting takes an enormous amount of physical energy. Film acting is more um, psycho psychological, psycho-emotional energy, right? With, I mean, if you're in an action film, that takes, you know, some some physical energy, obviously. But um, stage stage actor acting is... is uh, is really difficult. So uh, I didn't really miss it at all. I didn't. Uh, I did go back and do a couple of things, but um, you know, if the right play came along and uh, the right project or the right people, I would. I would do a play again. But uh, um, I like TV. But, but you did the producers, <laughs> right? I did. I. Um, I had a weird thing happen. I had a. Uh, 
a weird health problem. Uh, yeah, I want to ask you about that because yeah, yeah. I remember I had heard about that, and I went through a health scare a, a few years ago. Yeah, and it's very—it really wakes you up. I mean, it wakes you up to sitting there going, "Yeah, holy crap!" You know, I don't mean, waste time. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I had read, and it, it was—it was staph infection. No, I, I didn't strep. Yeah, I. So I, did it come out of nowhere? What happened? Yeah, with that? it was. It, they're still scratching their heads trying to figure out how I got it. I. Um, I was doing Spin City, and uh, the show had moved out here because Michael had left the show, and we were doing the show out here with Charlie Sheen. And um, they're not sure exactly how it happened, but anyway, I got a strep type G infection in my bloodstream. Uh, and uh, my ex-wife, you know, she's a wonderful woman, the, uh, I got sick as a dog and, and became delirious at Christmas time. I went back to New York, and I pretty much made it home, and she immediately called the... Uh, uh, ambulance because I uh, we were staying in an apartment building because our house was being renovated and um, I had a cab driver who didn't speak any English and I was delirious and so he dropped me off at the wrong building and I didn't know where I was and so I just laid down in the lobby and, and there's I, no cell phones back then no no and so I laid down in the lobby and uh, I just thought that somebody would come discover me and I do remember like people walking over my body <laughs> they're just like well he's loaded you know he's New York be, right <laughs> yeah he's a mess and um uh, so I finally woke up and some, you know, I had a, some angel or something tapped me on the forehead and said, you know, go home, fool. So I walked outside and I got my bearings and went home. My wife calls the ambulance and I was, uh, wasn't a coma, but I was from the day before New Year's Eve until uh, the day before Christmas Eve until New Year's Eve. I have no memory. None at all. No. The last thing I remember was being in the bedroom at this apartment building in Piermont, New York. And the next thing I remember was people saying, five, four, three, two, one, happy new year. And I'm, I'm in a bed and I got tubes and I got all this stuff. So I had a, a strep infection in my blood and it shut down my kidneys. It, it almost infected the lining of my heart. They thought I was going to croak. Yeah, I mean, that, that must be crazy. I mean, when yeah. you hear about it in retrospect, it must be like, oh, my God. Because I'm, 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 people always sit there and, you know, people go, oh, I feel like I'm going to die. It's like, no, 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 I almost did die. Oh, uh, so. yeah. They told my, uh, they told my ex-wife that uh, he's not – they said he's not going to make it. And then after a couple of days, they said, well, it looks like he's going to pull through, but he's, he's not going to have all his marbles. And then I became coherent, you know. And they said, well, okay, but he's going to be on dialysis for the rest of his life. And then for whatever reason, my kidneys got better. Don't know why. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's just so amazing that, you know, sometimes yeah. it's like they say something and then it just, it changes. I know. And so, uh, so I had that kind of uh, health scare, life scare. And uh, about a year and a half later, I came out here uh, to do pilot season and I didn't get anything. And then I had an audition. Uh, I got an audition for the touring company of the producers that Matthew had done, obviously. He had done, you know, he was doing the Broadway show. And um, I thought, why not take a chance? Because John Ritter, the day before I got, had the, that audition, John Ritter passed away. Okay. And I thought, you know what? I just had that weird scare. Here's this guy. Everybody loved this guy. He just died. You know? Don't mess around. You want to just don't be chicken. Go do try it. You know? Take a chance. So I got it. You know? And um, I went on tour. I went on tour with a musical. Now, what's that like? Because, I mean, I just said, I mean, I'm, I did stand-up comedy when I was younger, and I yeah. always say now, you know, the, as you said, you know, Broadway's for the young, and being on the road is, is for the young, but you're in a good production, so it's not like you're doing, yeah. oh, you know, no, a, yeah. a little I was well crappy. taken care yeah. of, yeah. But, I mean, what was it like just being on the road? I mean, was that, did you enjoy that? Because the roads, are, and as you said, you know, especially the, the producers is a much demanding role. I, I had a friend who was in uh, the Phantom of the Opera, and he ended yeah. up playing for a little bit, then he was out here in Vegas, and he played it, and he said... You know, he was in Vegas for a long time. He couldn't have fun because you can't go out at night because no. you're the lead. And, you right. know, it's like for you, I mean, you're on the road. Did it drive you crazy or, I mean? I, uh, f first of all, I have nothing but the utmost respect for, for people who do that and do it well. <laughs> I kind of got away with it. Okay. <laughs> you know, I sang well enough to be like, well, yeah, he, you know. And I danced well enough that they were like, yeah, well, okay. Did they give you lessons? or did Oh, just, yeah. Okay. I rehearsed like crazy. And the singing know? too? Did you get a voice coach or did uh, you have a good voice? I, I had a, um, uh, a voice coach uh, back in Rockland County, New York, that I was, I was seeing before I, you know, went on the road. And, uh, but they I had a ton of dance rehearsals. And, uh, but anyway, about the first six months... I had a good time. I had a little trouble in Denver because it's really dry there, 
and we were there in January. Okay. And so, I mean, uh, you just your throat gets dried out. And does does the altitude affect you when you're performing there? We would come off stage, and they would have oxygen okay. bottles for us. You know, and we would take a whiff of oxygen and go back on stage. Um, so uh, the first six months were fun, and uh, I was in Florida. And, you know, we were in Miami, and the weather was great, and it was easy to sing because it was humid. And um, the the company asked me if I wanted to do another six months. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then, you know, that... <laughs> <laughs> Topeka. Yeah, that, that, yeah. No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that. But actually, the, the last few were like um, one-week stops, like in Michigan and upstate New York, which was a, a little hard. But... Um, Anyway, I have a lot of respect for the people who can really do that because that is hard work. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. it. As you said, it's so many shows, and it's just you really – you're giving it all. I, I have a friend who went to, I went to high school with my, from my hometown who has been Pumbaa, or Pumbaa in The Lion King for uh-huh. like 15 years. He just lost a bunch of weight because he said he was tired of – those suits weigh so much. Yeah. And he just lost like – he says, it's amazing. I lost – 25 pounds wow. and he goes and the suit is much lighter now because you don't you don't notice <laughs> yeah. and it's just it must it must be physical work because that role was such a physical role in the producers the guy that played max uh lewis stadlin told me before we started he said you know when you're on the road they don't do wednesday matinees in these towns you do five show weekends friday night two saturday two sunday so he said by the the middle of the second act in the second show on Sunday, he said, you will be drooling. He said, you won't be able to keep the spit in your mouth because you'll be so tired you won't be able to keep your lips together. And I said, come on. He said, you watch, you watch. And he was right. Now, it was drooling. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Plus, I would think also you, you, you must get crossed in your lines a little bit because you're doing five shows. I mean, I know you have it down, but it must be sometimes like, did, did I say that? Not, did I wait? Because if, it's anything. If you lose your – I mean, I knew when, when you did comedy, when I did comedy, if there was five shows, but a late show Saturday, you'd be like – did I do that bit earlier? Because it just throws you off. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I tell you, I, I have angels. I have guardian guardian angels with me. And the only time I went up in the producers, I went up in the middle of a song and I sang the wrong lyrics. But then I quickly somehow found um, some other lyrics that would rhyme and actually made sense. <laughs> and so uh, people were very impressed by that. But I, I said it had nothing to do with me. Uh, that was divine intervention. That's funny. I, w- I want to. I want to go back to when you said when you moved out here and you were auditioning and you were in that middle transition. And, yeah. Uh, and then how did Spin City come about? Because Spin City was that was a really funny show. And you were a you were a pom- I mean, it was you know you're a pompous jerk in that. I it mean, was great. It, it must have been great. But did did they know you? Did it was a long audition process or how did that come about? It wasn't really long. Uh, you know, I came out here to try to get into TV and I had done a few things. I had a uh, a couple of. I was on one ser- one show that went 19 episodes. I was on uh, another one that went 13. I, I was on another one. I did, I think, eight, you know. So I had this kind of hit-and-miss relationship with sitcoms. And uh, then the audition came around for Spin City. And uh, I auditioned for uh, Gary David Goldberg, who just passed away about a year ago, and Billy Lawrence out here. And um, it went well, and then they said, uh, we'd like you to go to New York to audition for Michael. You, know? you said, I'm going to pay $300, <laughs> yeah, yeah, am I telling you? <laughs> yeah, I, I got over myself on that one. But um, So uh, Michael sort of uh, hand-picked his playmates in a way because he had some casting approval. And uh, all of us on that show, Barry Bostwick, Michael Boatman, Richard Kind, myself, uh, Fox, we all share a, a really similar twisted sense of humor. So it was, it was like going home. Well, it, it's it's such when you break the the cast down, it's such a strong cast and diverse. I mean, Michael yeah. Bowman was great. He yeah. just has that character. Richard Kind is just so yeah. damn funny. I mean, yeah. he just he may play pretty much the same character all the time, but but it's just, but he nails it. it. Yeah. You sit there and you go. If he did something else, you'd be pissed. You'd be like, wait a second, I want to hear him loud. And, you know, and yeah. like all this, even when he's a guest on something, and, you know, Barry Bostwick's great, and of course Michael J. Fox. And, yeah. But I mean, so that must have just been, when you guys are, and you're all sick, sick sense of humor. So that yeah. must have been an insane set. We had so much fun. And again, friends for life. You know, I was just in New York. My wife was shooting uh, an indie there for the, like, the past six weeks, and we came home right before Thanksgiving. And I got to see Michael Boatman, and I got to see Richard Kind, you know. Um, 
Yeah, and that part is interesting because I auditioned for that part, and uh, the network said to Gary Goldberg, "Who are you looking at for these different?" And so he said, "Well, for this part, we're looking for uh, we're looking at Alan Ruck among other people." And they said, "No, we know Alan. Alan doesn't play that kind of part." And Gary, he was he was maybe the last of a breed, you know, and he just said. No, we were in the room with him, and we saw him do it, so we're going to consider him, you know. And uh, so he had my back on that, and if it hadn't been for him and him being such a strong producer with, you know, really strong ideas, I'm, that might not have happened for me, you know. Isn't that amazing? It's like, you know, they, they, they always know. You know, it's like they, they and, and, the, and no, like not to produce, but the, the network yeah. always knows. Like, oh no, well, because he, you know, they probably still think, oh, well, he played camera, you know, and it, this. Well, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, and in the, in their defense, I have to say that they're probably trying to juggle so much stuff, right, and trying to keep so much stuff in their mind at the same time that they don't have a lot of time to dwell on any one thing. So, like that guy, he, oh yeah, he's that guy, you know. So that that's all that was. But again, it was uh, it was Gary David Goldberg that man. He he was my mentor. He was my advocate. Now, yeah. what was that like playing? I mean, because you've always played a nice guy. You oh know, man! So you sit there, and all of a sudden they're saying, "Okay, you can be a jerk," and you, you were sort of a, a woman. I you a were just sexist pig. Yeah, I mean, I mean. So yeah. what's it, and what's it like for you? You must sit there as an actor and go, "Man, I hope this show runs because this is going to be fun." It was a license to steal. Okay. Really, <laughs> you know? I mean, because. First of all, you get to say the most foul stuff and not get sued, right? You know, <laughs> because it's it's a show and not real life. So you get to sort of get all that stuff out of yourself, you know. That we have all of us have yeah. some of that, right? So you get to work that stuff out at your job, and then you go home and you can be, you know, a good daddy, right? And, you know, <laughs> hopefully a good husband and you know uh, a good friend. So uh, I just had a ball. I had a ball doing that. Now, what was it like? As you said, it's shot in New York. Yeah. So you had moved out here. I moved to, the, to and then LA you're, and you, you're, you're not laying. You're going, hey man, this is this is great weather. I'm getting. And then yeah. you all of a sudden they go, hey yeah, we got your role on TV. And and your longest one before that was like 19 episodes or whatever. Yeah. And this ended up lasting for what six or seven years. Six years, yeah. yeah. So all of a sudden they say, oh yeah, you got the role in New York, but now you have to move back to New York. Were you like? Really, or it was like, because well, New York's great, but when you're yeah. in LA, I mean, well, uh, you know, it's fun. I had I had mixed feelings about it. I think I was just so excited by the prospect of, look, as long as Michael J. Fox wants to stay in the show, it's going to stay on the air. So it was kind of like hitting lotto, you know. And uh, we uh, we had friends that had been in Los Angeles who had moved back to New York, and they were scoping out neighborhoods and schools for us. And so we had sort of a uh, really strong support group. And um, uh, my my ex wife felt bounced around a little bit. I know we're actually great friends now, uh, uh, but um, she was she was just really starting to get comfortable in L.A. And I was like, Hey, guess what? <laughs> right. And for and, and it ran for so long. Yeah, that's right. a difference. It's not like um, yeah, I'm shooting a movie out there. But I mean, so but actually, she's still back there and she loves it. Okay. So, yeah. So you go back there and now I just said work with Michael J. Fox. So Michael J. Fox decides to leave, and so. Yeah. But of course, the the show is still going to go on. Well, but it wasn't for uh, again. It was it was Gary Goldberg, who um, Michael just decided that his at that at that point in time the medicine that they had to treat Parkinson's uh, was not as good as it is now. You know, so now he's come back to TV and he's done some things like he right. did a, a, his own sitcom. You I know. I like that show. Yeah. It got canceled. I thought it was very yeah. funny. And what I like about him is he. And he, like in the Kirby Enthusiasm episode, yeah. it's classic, where he, he sits there and he makes fun of himself, but 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 what's good about it is but he brings so much of awareness doing it because yeah. he does so much stuff. But when, when he was holding with him and Larry David shaking the Coke, it, it's just funny. I he's mean, it's a just smart great. guy. He's, he's a really smart guy. Um, but at that time, Michael was just, he was exhausted and uh, the medicine was what it was. And he just thought, I'm, I don't want to spend my life being in pain and all being all cramped up because I'm trying to... Uh, perform what he would do on show nights on show days was the medicine at that time I think if you took a little bit of it uh, in the morning you would, might shake a little bit a little bit but you wouldn't have cramps okay right but if you t waited all day and you took a lot of it right before showtime you'd be shake free so that's what he would try to do, and then sometimes it would work, and sometimes he wouldn't. It wouldn't be timed right, and he'd be cramping all during the he'd day. He'd be cramping and... during the show, and you know, uh, it was hard for. I mean, it was, he's he's a tough little Canadian man. I tell you, he's one of the toughest people I know. 
but anyway, at that time, he was like, I just don't want to. I got my wife. I got my kids. I don't need to make money. I want my life, you know. So he decided to leave. And then Gary Goldberg said, I think the show still has legs, you know. And so uh, the network said, well, what do you want to do? And so he said, how about Charlie? They now, said, okay. had, you, had you met Charlie on Ferris, Ferris Bueller? Or no, no, I didn't meet him on Ferris. I met him on this terrible movie we did together about a year later called Three for the Road. With, with Kerry, Kerry no, Green. Kerry Green. I, re- yeah. I, saw it. I remember seeing that movie. Yeah, terrible movie. Um, uh, Sheen once said it was the worst movie of his career and I said I'm not really sure about that it's definitely the wor- worst of my career but you've made a lot more movies than me and you know Maximum he's yeah come on separate. yeah yeah but um, uh, so I I actually um, met Charlie right before he turned 21 and uh, I love the guy you know uh, uh, I'm crazy about him um, his we all have demons it's just his seem to get played out very publicly yeah but that, ha- that happens a lot it's yeah. like it's someone and the thing is though no and i always complains i get bothers me because everyone says he's like so charitable and he does so many good things but, give but you the shirt off his back but you never hear about that you hear yeah. and it's like he's just doing stuff that movie stars you know like yeah. like a rock star if the keith richards falls out of a tree and he's 75 and gets a yeah. concussion no one says anything right. well it's keith richards but charlie sheen because he's an actor i just i think he always gets a bad rap yeah uh, anyway he's um he's actually a very sweet guy and um I haven't seen him in a little bit here, so I just wish him well. Um, but uh, yeah, Gary Goldberg said, I think the show, you know, I think we got a, a little more time on the show. And the network said, okay. And uh, so we went for two more years. But they had to move back here again, right? That was a strange commute. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, how did you do that? Because, I mean, it, it shoots for how, how long does it, did it shoot? Because back do, then it was 25 episodes probably. Yeah, right? like 24, 25. You do... Um, you do three weeks in a row. It's a great job because it's Monday to Friday, and uh, every fourth week you have off, which is really for the writers, so they don't basically burst into flames right. because they have to produce a, a material so quickly. It's it's really for the writers to give them a breather. So you do three weeks on, one week off. And so we would go out. I mean, um, a lot of times Boatman and Bostwick would fly back Every weekend, you know, or they'd, they'd uh, work it out so they didn't have to come in on Monday, you know, or they'd switch it off so they'd get a long weekend. But uh, we'd all go home every uh, fourth week, which actually turned out to be about like nine days, something like that. So it was, it wasn't ideal, but it was, you know, it was workable and daddy had a job. Right. So, so uh, when it ended, were you, were, was, did you know the writing was on the wall or was, was it sad when that show went off for you? Because you were on it for so long and you, and you guys well, had such a camaraderie. A couple of things happened. Uh, uh, I definitely think the first three years of that show, we were as good as any sitcom on TV, in my opinion. We're very strong, very tight, great writing. Um, anyway, very good show. And then, you know, um, we, bought, uh, we brought in Heather and I love Heather, but what the network wanted to do then, at that point, Gary had stepped away from the show, Gary Goldberg, and Billy Lawrence left to go do Scrubs. So uh, at that point, uh, the network had sort of more control over what was going on. And um, uh, Heather came on, and they tried to do a lot of sort of lovey-dovey stuff between Michael and Heather. Um, you know, Heather is a wonderful... F- She's a in real life. She's like an hysterically funny girl, and uh, I always thought that they should write her like the bitch she played on Melrose Place, right? Except funny, right? You know, but they always try to make her into the good girl, which is like that's it's kind of a it's a hard hole to dig yourself out of comedically. You know, you want to be like Stuart. You want to be the sexist pig. You want to be the jerk. Yeah, because you you you're, you that's, know you know your lines are always going to work. First that's of all. the funniest, you know? right? Um, so anyway. Uh, the show wasn't as strong, and not do not Heather's fault at all, but just and also uh, shows have a, sh- a certain shelf life, and and th- we had peaked, we had definitely peaked, and um, so then um, we came out to L.A. and uh, at the beginning of the s- the sixth season, nine eleven happened, and suddenly there was nothing funny about New York City, nothing, right, and. When that happened, it was like, well, I just don't know what we're going to do with this show. Uh, because a lot of what made the show great in the early days was um, the specifics of the mayor 
trying to go out and and uh, uh, you know s- speaking to these uh, uh, disparate groups, right. you know, and trying to be a unifier and just not being so successful, you know. Uh, or, or or Richard Kind making a huge gaffe with African Americans right. and then joining like a, a gospel choir, you know. I mean that, you know. <laughs> it, what I mean? it was it was, it played it played the city was another character. That's right, it. exactly so. And so all of a sudden, uh, New York City was the saddest place on earth. Um, so it just you know, but I got that's when I got sick. Okay. Right after nine eleven, that Christmas after nine eleven, I got sick, and I was laid up. I was in the hospital. I was in one hospital for. About five weeks in another hospital for four weeks, and um, uh, I went from 170 pounds to 140 pounds. I was a mess, uh, but I was bound and determined to come back for the last show of the season. Right, which I did. Now, did they have to schedule shooting around you because you were no, no? I um, uh, I had to wear a knee brace because my legs were weak. Okay, right. So I had to uh, wear a knee brace. And I was really skinny, you know. So none of my clothes fit right, but um, they were very sweet to me, and they wrote. A bunch of killer lines for me that I could say from my desk. <laughs> okay, well that's awesome. Though. Yeah, and then uh, Gary Goldberg. Uh, after I did one scene where uh, I uh, I had some you know snotty com come back or some some innuendo about uh, Charlie and Heather, and uh, Gary came over and he was crying. He was crying. He said that was just really a wonderful thing to see. He gives me a big hug, you know. And then um, when I came out for my curtain call, of course I was dragging my leg behind me. And so everybody that bowed after me pretended they had a limp. Okay. Well, that's, good. that's that's teamwork. <laughs> yeah. They were just sweet, you know, and that uh, that wound up not just being the last show of the season, but being the last show. Wow. So I was really happy that I got to do that. So after that, you know, you've, you've gone into acting different things, but I mean, you've got to look at your career and say, you know, you're, you're, you played an iconic character, you know, yeah. in a movie. You're on a, and you're right, Spin City was a, uh, was just a really good show and it stinks because it's not as easy to find on tv now which it, it's it works it's i mean i every once in a while you'll I'll flip around i'll find it on like tv land or lifetime yeah, whatever it's on places. and it, it works it still works yeah and so you've done that and you've been on broadway i mean you must you know now what do you sit there and look to do i mean because you've just you've you've hit all the peaks i mean and, and now you're married and your wife is an actress yeah and uh now how did you guys meet um, Mireille and I did a play together in New York um, nine years ago, and uh, I was in the middle of getting divorced from my first wife, and uh, I just said to myself, i got to get out of the house. I'm just sitting around here. Uh, you know, things are crazy. Things are stressful. I've got to go do something. So I auditioned for a couple of plays, and the one that I got was this Alan Akeborn play called Absurd person singular, and I almost didn't want to do it. I was like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I really know who this guy is. But I was like, well, I got to do something, you right? Know? So I took it, and, and Mireille at the time, my wife is Mireille Enos, who's wonderful. Actress. My girlfriend loves The Killing. It's a great show. My she, wife is, she's got it. She's she. I remember because I, I got the Chromecast and they came out on uh, Netflix. Yeah. I swear, and my my girlfriend will watch TV, but she won't binge watch it. She'll she'll DVR stuff. Yeah. She's like, and she didn't know how to work. The Chromecast was on my phone. It was the upstairs. And she's like, honey, come and put another one on it. She just loves that show. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I mean, great show and, and um, great cast. And So my wife is very talented. Anyway, so my wife was doing Virginia Woolf on Broadway. And uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? And she almost didn't take this play because she was still doing Virginia Woolf at night while she was rehearsing this play that we were in together, this Akeborn play. So she almost didn't take it. The play was the production was not entirely successful. My wife was very good in it, and uh, a couple other people very good in it, um, uh, uh, but not entirely successful. But I got to meet my wife, you know, and I didn't. I hadn't been on a date in over twenty one years. I didn't know how to do it. Yeah, it's, it's scary. And I, I talked to the girl that was playing my wife, a woman named Clea Lewis, a wonderful, wonderful actress, uh, um, great girl. I said, what? I don't know how to be on a date. How do you do a date, you know? And um, <laughs> I'd heard this before in my life, and she just sort of repeated. She said, you just make sure that she has a nice time. That's all you have to do. You just have to be a good guy and make sure she has a nice time. I said, okay. I said, how, how young can I date? Because my wife is younger right. than me. <laughs> and so Clea said, definitely not 20s. Not 20s for you. And I said, Okay. And Mireille had just turned 30. <laughs> in fact, when I met her, at the beginning of rehearsal, she was 29. And I said, are you still in your 20s? And she said, yeah, barely. <laughs> so you said, okay, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so that by the time uh, 
by the time we started going out, she was 30 years old. So that's great, though. Yeah. So we only have a few minutes left. Uh, so what's going on now? I mean, you know, do you, are you? I know you have a you have a young child. So I that, do. But so that must drive you crazy. Well, not crazy, but there's a lot of energy. I'm really tired. I'm uh, uh, I'm happy, but I don't know anything about anything. I really don't. I mean, I know where I live, and I know who my people are, and that's really it. I have no short-term memory. My wife says, remember when we went out with that nice couple and you and the husband were talking like you were long-lost buddies? I, no. <laughs> who? I don't have anything. So, uh, But I think it's okay. Um, yeah, my wife's career in film and TV took off like a rocket exactly when she got pregnant with our four-year-old. So about five years ago, uh, she had been on Big Love and they dropped her contract because they said, we love you, but we're going to concentrate on the uh, immediate family. And so she was doing a play at the Geffen with um, Annette Benning at night. She was in her first trimester of pregnancy. And then the, the agency was sending her out on every single pilot, you know, and she auditioned for like 30 things. And um, in uh, April or something, we were, uh, no, it wasn't April. Yeah, it was maybe March. I can't remember. We were in New York because my eldest uh, had just graduated from college and she was doing a showcase in New York. And my wife, uh, Mireille, uh, said to me, I have to ask you a question. I just want to know what you think. She said, does it worry you that I auditioned for th- for 30 things and I didn't get a job? And then she bursts into tears. And I said, no, because everybody loves you. It's just a matter of time. The next day, her manager calls and said, remember the killing? We thought it went away. Well, it came back because they offered it to like a couple of star women who said, no, nah, I don't want to do it. So then Mireille went in and she, she read for the network and that was it. Where did that shoot? Uh, Vancouver. Okay, so so that's so now you now you have. I'm Mr. Mom. You gotta uh, like that though, because I mean, oh, it's, it's great. It's, I mean, it's like you know, you you've had such a great career, and I'm sure you go you you do your guests. If you're on Psych, which I'm I sure, do, yeah, I, I mean, do I do guest spots and I do voiceovers for Volkswagen, which is a great gig because as which, you can see now, you don't have to shave. Yeah, no, and well, you can wear sweat clothes. Which uh, which which wait which. Uh, this ha- all happened at the same time. My wife got the killing. I got this uh, account. To, to do voiceovers for Volkswagen commercials. And uh, uh, it's it's been a beautiful job because um, I've done Volkswagen commercials, recorded them in Vancouver, Los Angeles, New York, Houston, Cleveland, Glasgow, London, and Paris. Because you, if, cause if you, you travel with her, so you yeah, can... Yeah, go can wherever record- she's going, you know, and then they call, uh, I get a, an email that says, you know, the, the, the ad agency, Deutsch, would like to... Uh, uh, book you, you know, for a VW commercial. I said, well, I'm in Glasgow. They're like, okay. And then they find a studio and then they do it all with the computers and the phone lines and it's great. That must be great because also, I mean, because it's, it's not that time consuming for you. It's not. I mean, it depends what they want to do, but I mean, maybe, maybe it's a couple of hours or if it's a, a lot of material, maybe it's three hours, you know? So that's for all the Volkswagen commercials. That, like, like, like ones I, I, I think there's ones in uh, other countries that are not like Canada. I, it, it's somebody else. But here, if I see a Volkswagen in the States, that, that's your it, voice. Yeah, I'm the guy that says stuff like uh, more legroom than any other sedan in its class. Okay, yeah, you're, you're, I'm that guy. You're the guy because it was the one where they're comparing it, where you kept talking to the the the, the deal. I'm just thinking of the commercial, but that must be great though. I mean, and people, it's think because now that's I'm going to think about that all the time because usually you always do that when you hear a voiceover. You sit there and go, wait a second, who is that? And you go, damn, that voice sounds familiar, and then it drives well, you at the wall, and then you end well, up googling it. Well, there's uh, we're kind of the three headed monster because there's an actor named Ron Livingston, very yeah. good actor named Ron Livingston, and he's kind of the sexy voice whenever they do any kind of sexy right. copy <laughs> they get Ron and then I'm the guy that just kind of like says you know hurry in and, and get zero percent down and then there's a guy named Larry Cedar who can do the legalese he can speak very rapidly and he can do all the legalese at the end you know uh, certain offers may not apply you know it's not it's great though speed of light so now now at what anything coming up in the near future we can see you on or are you just just chilling no, I'm trying to remember what I have in the can. Uh, um, there's a, an ABC show called The Whispers that will be on uh, as a mid-season sometime, and I, I've recurred on that. I've done, uh, I don't know, three or four episodes on that. And then um, I did a show for VH1. I did an episode of a show called Hindsight. Okay. Which has actually got a very cool pre- – both of them have really good uh, – well, uh, Cool. We'll look out for you. Now, do you, do you tweet? Are you a Twitter guy or no? No, I did, I did Twitter uh, with, my fam- with my wife's family for a while. And then I'm actually, I'm taking a step away from Facebook. I mean, I'm glad I met you through Facebook. Right. But uh, I, I've just found myself falling down the rabbit hole. So for yeah, the, from, from now until the new year, I'm just going to um, 
stay away. Well, I want to yeah. thank you for coming on, Alan. It was great meeting you. And I'm glad I'm, I sent you that message. I'm glad you responded. Cause Absolutely. I always try to send it. Sometimes people respond. But uh, so, yeah. So, people, check out his work. Go, go, go IMDb him. Check out Bad Boys. <laughs> and you know the backstory now. And uh, people, follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot of jokes and stuff like that. Also, if you uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net, I have... God, close to 320 episodes up. So check them out. And you can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Also, if you go to iTunes or Stitcher, you can type in one word, Cooper Talk, and find me there. Uh, I don't perform much anymore, but December 13th, I'll be doing a storytelling show at IO West on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. That's 7.30 on a Saturday night. It's the wonderful Christine Blackburn story-worthy show. She's got a great podcast. I've been on it. So go there. Check it out. And that's about it. Please send me the email. Follow me on Twitter. And uh, stay dry, California. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. You guys have a great weekend.